where were you in life? What state of mind were you in that you felt you needed to write Secrets of Divine Love? I wrote this book for the hopeless person. I didn't write it for the mosque-going, perfectly praying religious Muslim. It's amazing if that person finds benefit in it. But I, I, in, I felt guided to write it for the person that was just seeking to be uplifted, to, to be reminded that they matter, they have a purpose, that God created them intentionally, and that Allah loves them. I was born and raised in, um, in California, and so I went to private Christian schools my whole life, mm. which consisted of a church service every week. Um, so I've probably been to church for a significant portion of my life. Um, and my parents always sort of told us to learn wherever God takes us and, and to be able to be open to the wisdom teachings, the universal teachings that are at the core of all uh, different traditions, which I'm really grateful for. Um, just being, having more contact with the Muslim online, seeing that there are so many people who love that, but there's also pockets that people just completely ignore any mm -hmm. teachings that aren't from the ones that they grew up learning, which I think uh, it prevents you from experiencing the, the diversity um, in this world, I think. I was learning from a lot of teachers. I was sort of traveling around the world and just taking in a lot. And I've always been a note taker. Mm -hmm. um, and so these notes just sort of piled up 100, 200, 300, 400 pages. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought to myself, oh, like I have a lot of notes, but I didn't feel a calling to do anything with them. And then it felt like a particular day or night where I just felt this overflow, this feeling of, oh, this is overflowing into something. Mm -hmm. So I tried my best to sort of write it and keep track of it, but I didn't know if anything would come of it. And then the book sort of talks about an introduction of, of, a, of a particular person that I genuinely feel like created this spark in my heart because I think it's easier sometimes to do something for those who are seeking it, for someone who's asking and it is for our own volition. Mm -hmm. And I'll say always, like, I didn't have the will to write this book, but I feel like a particular prayer out in the world. It, like, sparked something in me. Like, it put me on the train tracks. And once I was on that train track, it's like everything else just sort of went. Um, and I try to keep turning to Allah to, as a conductor you know, of, that, of that train. But... Um, I always try to make it a point that this is not a testament to who, who I am or, or something I've achieved. It's teachings from our religion. Um, I'm as much stumbling along, along the path as anybody else. Mm. I think what's uplifting is that these are the teachings. These are from the tradition. It's from the Quran. It's from the Hadith. It's from the Sirah, the biography of the Prophet. Um, it's not a person's opinion. For the most part, you know, like it's, um, so if anybody is reaching to the book, I just always want to remind them, like, they're not reaching for me. So the desire to know me is, it's really just, you would never buy this book if it was Halwa's ideas, you know? Yeah. You're reaching for a relationship with Allah, I imagine. Yeah, I just felt, I guess my state of mind would have been, I was open to the possibilities of being used for something that I didn't have the capability to accomplish. Okay. 
And I, th- I think it's really important to say because a lot of times we think that God calls capable people. And I think he just calls available people. So it's like if you... Those who are accepting to use their... Exactly. Power. Just being open and saying, is there something I can do? And it may be go sweep the floor. It may be, you know, go give a speech. But whatever it is, it's like it's as important as any other task that anybody else is being guided to do. And and when you started writing the book and you took up on this calling, um, what was the intention behind it? What when when someone was picking up your book today, or when someone is picking up your book today, what do you hope and what is the intention that you hope they receive? That they're loved by law, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, and no matter what they've done. That God's love is not dependent on their actions, but at the same time, their actions sometimes avail them from experiencing God's love. And so whether somebody believes or doesn't believe, it doesn't make a difference into how I view them. Mm. It makes a difference in how they consume information. But as far as my perception of them doesn't change, how could it change? If Allah the creator of the universe decided someone was worthy to create and not just create, but every single moment breathe through that person to give them life, to sustain their life. How could I decide if they're worthy or not worthy or um, if they um, have space or don't have space to exist? Yeah. Did you ever question your legitimacy concerning writing such a book? Um, filled with, you know, explanations and visualizations about Islam. Uh, were you worried, uh, self-cautious? Did you go through this kind of uh, phase when writing your book? Um, I would make that question present from did you to do you because I feel like every single day I think that. Okay. Every single day I question my legitimacy. Every single day I feel unworthy as far as my knowledge, my understanding to have written a book like this, to speak about a book like this, because I feel like I don't know if there ever will be a day where I feel worthy about talking about the words of God. Mm-hmm. And, and so I feel like in the beginning it was really hard because um, I felt like it was imposter syndrome. And, you know, uh, surrounded by sheikhs whose beard you know sweep the floor or (laughs) these like very religious figures but then a friend of mine uh told me she's like that's the best place to be like hold on to that place because she's like if you turn it to Allah then it can transform it into a sense of surrender and submission neediness and neediness is exactly how you want to meet the creator of of everything in existence like you want to come to him needy and so mm-hmm. she's like, use your poverty to actualize and experience al-Qani, the one who's rich, you know? Um, and in doing that, I felt like God put the people, the professors, the imams, the teachers, the sheikhs in my path to look at my manuscript, mm-hmm. um, correct theological issues if I had any. Um, so those people came and assisted in the project. It was hard because I was just seeking advice. Um, and so people didn't have time, especially as a, I think a woman, it's hard to get um, time with male leaders. It's just like mm-hmm. tricky for them. And I don't know. And so 
he kind of did it. He was funny because he, he took my manuscript, but it took like seven months and he didn't give me any corrections. And it slowed down the publication of the book by like half a year. And I was like, you know, I, he must be busy. Like he's a busy person. And it was funny because two months after it came out, he, uh, he sent me this email like, your book's all over my WhatsApp chat and a bunch of people converted or reverted. And I can't believe that. And are you going to make a version for children? I want my kids to read it. It was, I, for the most part, I would say it was amazingly positive. Um, one of the pushbacks I get is God's love is not con- unconditional. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they kind of cite all the reasons why not. And, and I, I have, I feel I have evidence and then note sections of my book actually filled with evidence. There are many people around the world um, who leave Islam uh, or their religion, whichever belief it may be. Um, I mean, due to what is due to the way it's taught with demand, aggression, force, black and white, uh, and more so because it is very much entangled with politic politics. Um, and it is taught in a way of fear rather in the rather in the way of love. Um, what's your perspective on this certain topic and what do you tell those individuals? There's a story of uh, the sheikh and, and somebody came to him and he had left Islam and people didn't know how the sheikh was going to treat him and and the sheikh listened to him and he said that um, you did the right thing leaving this Islam, this Islam that you follow because no heart that is conscious can hold that reality that you were watching and witnessing, which was the reality of this harshness, this um, anger, this punishment, this fear all pumped in. And he's like, that's not the religion. You didn't leave Islam. You left an illusionary version of it. And so mm-hmm. I, and then he, he, he goes on to say, like he's sharing this love-based approach and it makes sense to the soul. And I think for a lot of us, the ruh, the spirit, the fitra, the primordial essence of goodness inside of us, we know the truth when we see it. We know the truth, but we're encompassed by these veils of judgment in the way that actually Imam Ghazali says that half the weight of disbelief is because of, you know, imams whose speech is so horrible that it pushes people out of the faith. And for me, it's always like, that's my great fear in life that I would say something on my page or I would say something in my book and it would turn a person's heart away from God. Like I don't have the ability and I don't think what he does to stand before a law and say, I did that for you. Like, I feel like that would be a hard day to face. And so for those who leave Islam as they've experienced it, and they, if they came to me, first of all, my role is not to convince them of coming back to the religion. My role isn't to think that I can save them. My role is to love them, to create space for them, and to trust that if Allah wants to guide them like a flower when the sun kisses it, it blossoms. Like, I can't do anything. As a human being, what are we doing? Can't, the water doesn't come, and the sun doesn't come, and the soil isn't there. We can't grow anything. Yeah. So it's just saying, like, this person, I'm going to love them. I'm going to be good to them. And if Allah chooses to guide them in this way or that way, like that's Allah's uh, it's part of his will. Yeah? Do you believe that um, a person needs to feel like they want to be guided for them to be guided? Or 
can a person who does not want to be guided be guided? What is your perspective on that? In the Quran, it says that those who turn those who turn to Allah, Allah guides them. Mm. And a lot of times, we think that turning to Allah is looking at the heavens and saying, "God, I need your help," which it can be. But Allah has ninety nine names, meaning He has all these qualities. When you activists turn to justice, you know when you love or turn to love. When you a uh, person who gives in service turns to compassion, like you are turning to the name of God mm. and you're calling upon the name of God. And so I, I feel like even that turning potentially could be a turning to God. And so I think Allah, like, I mean, I know this sounds ridiculous, but I feel like he rigs the system in our favor. Mm. Like if you're going to say God is unfair, I'm going to mm. agree with you with this asterisk of, if you see justice as getting what you deserve, then definitely God's not fair because he gives you far more than you deserve. Mm. So unfair in the most fair way, you know, like, yeah. And I think that, um, I mean, just remind being reminded of that, that you can't turn to a place that God isn't there. For many people who believe in energy and a divine, but not in a religion. In your perspective, what is the difference between the two, between energy of science and between religion? Well, I feel like, you know, it's interesting because the word religion, deen, as we translate it, is actually debt, the debt we pay. And so the word deen is not, is not we translate religion, but really it comes from this root that means debt, that God is giving you everything, including existence and a body and a soul, and you bear this debt to serve his creation and to love, know, to know love and worship him. It's this debt that we're... So when we go to science, science is talking about how things move, how things grow, how things come about, but it can never answer the question of why. Science can never tell you why you are here. Mm. It can just tell you how things came to be, and it can't even tell you how the original ingredients of existence came into being. Mm. There's a funny story of a, a biologist and he he's having a conversation with God. It's obviously metaphorical. And he's like, God, I finally found a reason why you don't exist and I can prove it. And and he says, God says, okay, I'm listening. And he says, okay, so, uh, you know, if we take this, you know, these atoms and that, and God's like, wait a second, what dust, what cosmic waste, that's mine. You got to use something that that's not mine. And his idea is if I could put these parts and pieces into play, then I could create existence. But what bang? You know, where did the bang come from? And into what space? Into what time? You can't explain those things away. And so I feel like this notion in Islam, it's, it's saying, okay, these are how things may have come into being, but why are you here? And mm. why is it? Why is there gravity? You can tell me how gravity exists, but you can't tell me why it Okay. Your voice is cutting. It's famous. Um, you know, one, what, the book, hello. Book. Your voice mm -hmm. cut for a minute. So I just want to go okay. back to where it stopped. So basically, you can tell me why um, there's the Big Bang. No, you can tell me how. What was it? Can you, I was saying can you like repeat? science and say like how it could say 
you know, the Big Bang came from the space the size of a pea okay. and it yeah. exploded into being, but it cannot tell you why that happened. It 100%. cannot tell you why time exists. So if you're seeking for a why, you never find it in science. If you're seeking for certainty, you'll never find it in science. You'll never find it anywhere except in belief. In my well, you'll never find it in anywhere except for the capital T, truth. Because the thing is, everything in existence is empty space. It, you know, atoms are 99.9% .9 empty space. So if you're looking to be filled, as they say, God-shaped hole, that God-shaped hole, you're looking to be filled. How can you fill it with another thing that's 99.9% .9 empty space? Mm. That's why the, the significance of the linguistics of the Quran is mind-boggling that Allah refers to himself as a samad or a had, the one who is filled, that there is no holes, that he is the one, the, the compact, the simple one that fills. Everything else is empty space, but he's the one. And so energy is just one of the laws of his universe. It is not God. And one of the reasons why I feel like this, the new age is inclined towards calling God is because we have wounds around God. We have scars around God, Elohim, Yahweh, what, Aloha, whatever you call him. It's like we have wounds. And so we'd rather take something that has no wounds and energy has no wounds. So we, we still long for belief. So we put it there where there is no pain. You know? What can you tell me about evolution? Well, I feel like it get, can get very complicated, um, the response. And, but I, what I would say about it is that, you know, you, you, see, you see poets from the past, like you see Rumi, Jalaluddin Rumi. And he says, you know, that from the plant to the animal to the human. And he says, when have you, he, it's a poem about fana or death and the mm. divine. He's talking about when have you ever been less by dying? And so he says, you were mineral and you became plant. You were plant and you died, meaning an animal ate you and you became animal. And then the human ate the animal mm. and became human. And when the human dies, why do you think you will be less than? When every death of quote unquote evolution ended in you being better than you were before. Mm. And so scholars have said that, I mean, there are different opinions, but the one I sort of prescribe to is that Evolution does exist. This this notion, I mean, you know, Darwin didn't come up with, he came from Arab studies, Muslim studies. Of the, if you actually research, it's really interesting. He spoke Arabic and he he learned a lot of evolution from people before him who mm. were actually Muslim scholars. And what they were talking about is that the plant animal kingdom has a level of evolution, mm. but that that jump doesn't make it to human beings. Mm. And that the human being is a different creation. Mm. It, it it's this notion, it comes actually in, in ancient Chinese and, and Japanese um, traditions as well, this idea of yin and yang, yeah. this idea of the, even the chi, like it requires um, opposite and negative. Yeah. Like there's a way in which the energy flows through it. And so the notion of man and woman being together, it has this correlation of metaphorically showing you unity. Mm. Um, in the intimacy act, it's a it's metaphorically showing unity, and from the unity, life bursting into being, mm. and so it's showing, it's a symbolism of existence and creation. Mm. And so, part of the reason I think it's 
either people see homosexuality as the act of homosexuality as a sin is because it turns away from the metaphorical manifestation of unity in existence. And so I think that we don't, we, we don't say that, we don't talk about that. Um, we just shame people out of things. Yeah. Um, and we don't think that that's the approach um, as a religion we need to take. And I don't think that's what people need, especially in all the stuff they're dealing with. That yeah. we would make religion a burden on their back. I stand by the things that I believe in the faith. I know some people disagree with me. I know somebody says, no, it's not. And, and I'm perfectly fine this way. And that's, you have the right to have that opinion. I can't come and change you. But I can love you every single day. Like, And I think we need to have, because what happens is someone says, I'm on this side, you're on that side, we're against each other. And that's not, that's not, if you look at the past of Islamic scholarship, that's not how they interacted ever. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, um, I think the way of love is the only way. And I do believe um, love and acceptance is the summary of what Islam is in my perspective. I think no one should deciding for someone else if they are allowed to meet God or be closer to God because of the decisions they're making here yeah. on earth or what suits them here on earth. Exactly. And I think that's what the calling is, is call people to follow their inner fitra. Mm. And a lot of times, you know, through purification of, I do like chanting dhikr or yeah. which is like repentance practices. It's like, it takes the heart back to its center and acts place. Yeah. Um, and calling each other to that, just like you said. And sometimes you can make room for people and accept them into your mosque without agreeing with every decision they make. And we need to remember that. Yeah. And there's no way we will ever agree with every decision we make as human beings. Right. Together. So if we want to reach unity, peace, love, we, we need to be in understanding and understand that there are people who choose to live a different life than us and that's okay and and we should we should in in return learn from it rather than judge it i think how do you communicate the concept of heaven and hell i've, I've seen that in your book um i didn't reach to that chapter but i did skip through a bit today before the interview just to get a gist um but i but i do want to hear from you live heaven and hell what does that mean to you well i yeah, there's actually an interesting Zen story of a samurai who goes to the Zen master and he says that, um, does heaven and hell exist? And uh, the, the Zen master says, what do you know about these things with your dull sword that couldn't cut off a single head, you stupid samurai? <laughs> and well, the samurai like takes his sword out and he puts it to the teacher's neck and the teacher's that's hell and the samurai listens he hears oh so he puts his sword back in its teeth and then the zen master says and that's heaven um well, i always love the story because it articulates the duality of heaven and hell and as human beings we have this common question that why would allah create hell like why would he create this realm where we get punished and mm. why would there be heaven and mm. So it's always interesting because at its core, when you really sit with this question and you get to this core root statement, which is, I don't want free will. Because if you have free will, right, God has to give you, you can't say, 
okay, you have free will. Do you want a hamburger or a hamburger? You, the only way you can manifest your free will is if you have multiple choices. Mm. So God's giving you two choices and it's always two choices and never other than two choices. It's, are you walking towards me or away from me? Mm. Every single choice you will ever make in your entire life, I guarantee you, will be these two. I'm not saying that gray doesn't exist, right, in our experiences at all. But here are the two choices of black and white in this realm of what I'm trying to say is that mm. either you're towards a laurel way. There is mm. an infinite gray scale as, as far as feeling go. So here a lot is like kind of like if you're walking across the street, right? And you know, people say, why does, why does a car have to hit someone who's so nice? And at what point did you want God to get involved? Did you want God to remove them from taking that step? Did you want God to get in there and move the driver's hand? At what point will you slowly remove free will, mm -hmm. right? And so when God gave us free will, he gave us the choice to turn towards him or away from him, metaphorically speaking, right? Either towards or away. And in creating that, then there has to be a realm that articulates what that looks like. Heaven as a realm, every description you see is a description of unity of the desire needing what it's seeking it's it's saying i live my life wanting this now i live in that having of it and hell is a description it's crazy how insanely accurate it is of a description of being furthest from that what your what your spirit loves mm. every description like for example if i took the person who you love and I threw them on the moon, right? And I said, what do you feel knowing you're never going to see your lover, your mom, your father, your child, whatever it is, ever mm -hmm. again? You would describe what hell is described as in the Quran. You would say, oh, my stomach, I feel like it's turning. I feel sick. I feel like I can't breathe. And Allah says, like, like boiling water in your stomach, like smoke in your lungs, like you can't see, like... Your entire reality is overcome by grief. It's a manifestation of being furthest away from that which you love. And heaven is being closest to that which you love, closest to the divine qualities. The samurai putting his sword back is an articulation of, of understanding, of compassion. And then the hell aspect is anger, rage, um, you know, just sadness or whatever it is. It's like that's so... Shamsa Tabrizi, which is Rumi's guide, says consistently that famous quote, he says that you know, when you're in love, in compassion, you're in heaven. And when you're in hatred and judgment and shame, you're in hell. Mm. So there's metaphorical heaven and hell on earth. And then there's the very real places in the next realm. Mm. Um, so you believe that we, um, we create our afterlife destiny for example of heaven and hell so what we are here we will be in the afterlife well allah says there's a verse in the, in the quran that says eat for that which you planted in the past mm. you know like so i think that heaven and hell arguably are realms we know nothing about mm. i mean like for example if i told you um I'm going to give you the best fruit. It's called shabalala. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> it sounds amazing. Oh, like, 
I don't know if I want that because I don't know what it tastes like. Like I don't know. So God is saying, like, listen, I know you you guys love the sound of water because guess what? You were born and what you came in through water, right? You're mostly water. I know you like water, fountains, rivers, oceans. So I'm gonna show you that there's rivers and I'm gonna articulate that. Mm. I know that you love greenery and shade and people who are beautiful. I'm gonna show you that those are things because I can't exactly tell you what you've never seen or known. Mm. So I'm sharing with you the qualities that you know already on that you already know. Yeah. And so that's it really because some of your people always ask, there's this funny question that and I, I guess people who are pet owners can mm. deal with is they're like, my cat died. It's usually a cat too. My cat died and am I gonna see her in heaven? And um and I could see like that the love that that person has in their heart for this animal, right? This thing that gave them companionship and and Allah says like that heaven and hell are these are realms made for like that human beings are held accountable in this way. Whereas the animal kingdom doesn't have the same freedom of choice. So they're not held accountable. Like you can't hold something accountable when it doesn't have the freedom Predatory. of choice. Yeah. Right. So um and I I mean I hope there's animals in heaven. Like I love animals. And to always remember in that realm, you'll never feel like you don't have something you want mm. so always remember that because like people are oh well how is this and this and this and what if you know my husband died and he has another wife and like you know, whatever and people are i you know like what if someone had like four wives and then he dies and they're all in heaven like who does he have these <laughs> right these hilarious dilemmas but the notion that i would stand by is this is a realm oh you'll you'll have everything you want yeah and everything we reach for really like Everything we reach for is a quality of God. I say that all the time. Someone who reaches for a bottle of absolute vodka and someone who reaches for heroin, it sounds completely crazy to say that they are reaching for a quality of God. They think that that heroin is going to give them peace, but really they're reaching for a salam, but they just get interrupted with heroin, right? Mm. They're reaching for the quality. They're reaching for peace. They're reaching out for peace. But and yeah. they get intercepted by the drugs or the alcohol or whatever. I like, it is. I like how you put it. They get interrupted by heroin. They get interrupted by by the alcohol. Exactly, and so when we're all it, trying to reach out for the same piece. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's insane. Um, how did you find out about the soothing magic? of the Quran what experience took you there was it an experience was it a calling um and how can people reach that state of truly feeling unveiling the magic Islam holds the words the Quran holds because for me I find magic in it Mm -hmm. Um, to me it's a feeling it's not something I can describe to someone um, as much as I try to describe, it's not something I'm capable of putting into words. So yeah, how do we achieve that feeling? Um, for me, I have my own experience, and my experience brought me there. And <sighs> yeah, my experience mm-hmm. brought me there. So, what about you? How can we? How can you inspire people to feel it rather than to try to constantly understand it? Because I genuinely don't believe that. I think the word religion is contaminated. That's in my perspective. Mm. 
I think it's contaminated and it's it can be uh, thought about in so many different ways. But then you come to the word Islam, and to me that means peace, surrendering. That reminds me of surrendering. But then you come into belief and feeling. That's another level that is a bit unexplainable and you have to truly connect with it. How can you bring people to understand that belief is a feeling and it's not something you're going to get through understanding it through facts, through actual science or paper. It's something that beyond that, how do you get people to see that? Mm. That's a wonderful question. And I'm really curious about your experience actually um, as well. Um, if, if you'd be willing to share too. Of course. Um, but I, I feel like the first thing that happened for me is when I was starting on the spiritual path and, and started to find, wow, like this religion is really beautiful. I went and lived on an organic farm uh, in a different state. And uh, in, the, in that place, there was a teacher who's, who I was doing a retreat with. And every day and night we had a check-in where we would do dhikr and then I'd had practices to do. And as a notion of just being there, as a part of being there, um, mm. I had to clean like the beds and clean the toilets. And, and I had, my whole life was raised with maids and I never had, I never had cleaned the toilet, which sounds crazy because I was like in my, like, I was like 22, you know, so I never cleaned the toilet. I was like, she showed me, I was like, how do you do that? It sounds crazy and embarrassing, but I realized like I was on my knees, like cleaning this toilet. And I was like, wow, this is, I'm like feeling really like humble right now. Like I'm cleaning a toilet. I know it sounds absolutely mm -hmm. insane, but because I, it wasn't normalized to me, the feeling was intensified. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting here and I was cleaning beds and cleaning sheets and other people's showers and and I was like, I just, I realized in that moment that humility or um, feeling like, wow, like you're not greater than anybody else, you know, mm -hmm. in this food chain or whatever, that that was the first step. The prophet, peace be upon him, he, he went to the mountaintop, right? So mm -hmm. he took this, you know, for those who've gone an hour, an hour and a half hike, and he goes to this small cave by himself with nothing really. And he's meditating. He's in a state of humility and receptivity. Mm. And that's the state in which revelation comes to him. So we have to take that as a lesson. Like, what is that? That that humility, that surrender, that meditative, contemplative state. To me, that begins the journey. And then in that same stay, the next thing that happened is I was sitting with this big Quran and and I asked Allah, like, what is this book about anyways? Like, what is this book? I put it on my chest and and I just made that prayer. Mm. And by the time I woke up, I felt like a different person. Wow. I, I was like, it was almost like the broadcast was on one channel. And all that prayer that Dua did was just tick, just mm. one little tick. And now I'm like in a totally different broadcast. I'm like, what? This is on the same radio station of existence called, called the radio station of reality. Yeah. And it was this whole nother station. And so I realized when we come to the Quran with our judgment, the longing to debate, the longing to figure out, the longing to describe, understand, we're bringing our own self into it. And mm -hmm. we're staying in our own broadcast. 
But mm-hmm. when we come with dua, when we say, Allah, help me be humble. How can I be humble? Okay, go clean floor, floors. I got to clean a few toilets, like whatever it is. And you put yourself yeah. in a different station of yeah. receptivity. And that's the last thing I wanted to say. But the last thing would be, you don't get to experience the Quran. You don't get to understand it. You just, your only role is to be open to what yeah. Allah wants to receive it. Whatever it has. Absolutely. And so I think a lot of times people, you know, oh, how do I convince this person of this? I'm like, you don't need to convince anyone. You need to be receptive to receive it first. Mm. And then you live it. What about you? I'm curious about your... I feel, uh, yeah, so for me, um, curiosity got me to where I am. Um, mm. I, I am someone who is very curious about life. I question, I think, literally everything. Mm. And growing up, I grew up in a Muslim family um, surrounded by people who pray, who fast. But I also had um, atheists in my family, Christians in my family. So there's a lot of different, I I have knowledge about a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different beliefs, no judgment towards one another. Everyone does their own thing. and that's something I truly respected um, about my family and growing up. Um, although, obviously, when you go to school, there's a lot of um, teachings about Islam that is very much filled with fear rather than love. And mm. growing up, that was, to me, a huge question, a question mark. If you preach about God's love, God's mercy, God's peace, and then there's a contradiction of if you do one, two, three, you're going to hell. Um, if you just so much fear and the way that it is communicated was the mistake. So yeah. the way that you're teaching me this concept is the mistake. It's because they themselves do not understand it. They themselves do not feel the, the, this oneness and connection mm. and that I feel today. Um, curiosity started my journey um, and I've definitely went through so many different paths um, trying to understand every aspect um, having different conversations Um, but slowly alhamdulillah I've reached that point is feeling when you feel the love of God in your heart when you see how your life is changing how things are just puzzling up and coming together how when you are in the lowest of lows nothing but the word of the quran gets you out of it when i genuinely had tried every other thing but nothing but that sound got me out of it to me, that explains things way more than proof, way more than science, because it's something I'm experiencing in my heart, mm. in my life, firsthand. So although this is not proof to others, and although this, this can be argued that this is how you feel, it's because, how, it's, it's because what you believe. But on the contrary, I never knew that this feeling existed. Mm genuinely 
I never knew that this connection existed. I never knew that this type of magic existed in a book that sat next to me while growing up and I never looked at it. Mm. So no, it's not because I believe, it's because I was open to feel it, to feeling it. I was open to receiving whatever you had to give me because I was in so much pain. I was in so much, I went through so many experiences that caused me the, the kind of pain that, want, that, that makes you reach to a point where you want to give up in life. Um, whether it is suicide, whether it is why am I here, whether it's extreme questioning of existence, an existential crisis that is to, that is to the extent of wanting to commit suicide. So when you reach that extent, nothing can get you out. And I promise you when I say nothing can get you out, except your strength of your mind. And, this, and that strength, we do, not, we do not get it alone. I genuinely don't believe we are capable of getting that strength alone without the help of energy, divine, uh, God, whatever people want to call it. There is something that helps you strengthen your mind, that helps you perceive life differently, that gives you answers, that gives you peace in your heart, that soon after starts telling you, you start telling yourself, actually, I don't care why I'm existing. I don't care why I'm here. I am here and I am going to live the best life and I'm going to experience it the way God was meaning for me to experience it because life is happening for me. Wow. He created all this for me to enjoy it. And here I am questioning it. Why? What a waste of time. Why am I wasting my time? And I reached that point only when I felt that he is telling me, by the way, look around you. Look up, look down, look left, look right. Look at the people that surround you. I gave that to you. And you're still questioning instead of enjoying. You're judging. You're listening to people's perspectives about my words. Don't listen to people's perspectives about my words. Close your eyes, ask your heart, and that's your answer. Whatever you feel. Wow. And, and this moving on is how I live my life. I unlearned halwa, everything I was ever taught. Because everything I was taught was based on fear. Everything I was taught was based on lack of love. And that's unfortunate. But today, I'm fortunate enough to have found it by unlearning it and relearning everything just by the simple fact of closing my eyes, listening to my heart, and being open enough to receive whatever it is you want to say it is, whether it's God, energy, divine. Again, I say, all you need to do is be open. Be open to receiving and you will receive it. And I think that's the only argument in my perspective that I can give people or only perspective that I can give people because those who are closed off, they won't listen. And they're not here to listen. They are here to argue. So true. So why should I contaminate myself by speaking and speaking about the feeling of magic that I feel. Why belittle that feeling? Hmm. I don't need to belittle that feeling because it's clear all over so many people's faces, they do not want to receive. Hmm. There's something 
they're not receiving. They don't want to receive. There's a block. Once that block is removed and they truly within themselves accept that, okay, you know what? I surrender. That's all you need to do, really. Surrender. Surrender to the questions. Surrender to, to the earth. Surrender to, the, to everything. You are not in control. And this is my philosophy today. I am not in control. I surrender myself to the universe. In my perspective, I surrender myself to God. Allah, here I am. You are driving. I'm merrily the vehicle. Wow. That's, Amen. That's all <laughs> Amen. This choir whenever you want, girl. <laughs> I'll be calling you. <laughs> That's awesome. Wonderful. That was beautiful. MashaAllah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah for being able to be be where I am today and 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 to 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 read your book really, uh, it came at such a great time in my life. Um, I reached the point of peace and clarity, and I just wished I can't read Arabic properly because I was born and half raised in Montreal. So yes, when I read the Quran, I feel it. That's a different story. But I can't understand the words the the way you somehow translate them in your book. Mm. And this is why I love reading it because I'm finally understanding more and more the feeling. Do you know what I mean? I feel already what you're writing, but I never was able to put it into words because I mm. I can't write or read Arabic. Well, I feel like you. It's actually very beautiful. I, mean, I just was, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, just sitting your articulation and, but not even your words, because they were beautiful, but even beneath that, it's like they say, they say is like the, the silence between words gives the meaning, and it's like you've experienced what you're speaking about, you you're living what you're you're talking about, and that's so it's a rare thing to have. It's beautiful, mm-hmm. and, and whatever you may see in the words that you read is just reflecting to you that thing inside. And just like you said, it's like, oh, you have this feeling, you've had this experience. It's, you're reading your own words, really, if you think about it, because you know, a lot, anyways. Yeah, I do believe that you are my mirror, and I am your mirror, and I believe that everyone around us can be used as, as tools for us mm-hmm. to mirror one another. Um, I definitely do feel like your book is my mirror and that you as an individual, you're my mirror. Um, mm. And you have showed me a beautiful side of myself and of my belief and of my peace. And you have you have really reflected through that mirror my feelings. It's, it's a gift. Um, I'm happy my mirror is so beautiful. <laughs> and- yes, it's a blessing to have. <laughs> no, I'm just talking about I'm looking at your face and, and your heart. It's like if we're mirrors, I'm grateful for that because uh you've definitely walked sincerely and, and my deep prayer is that Allah continues to walk you, continues to allow you to be a beacon of light and in places I feel like you you go to places where people are needing something or longing for something and you represent that with words, in silence, with holding space and and I think this world really needs it. Muslim, not Muslim, whoever. They just need that. People need light. And 
Yeah. I pray that Allah protects your light and amplifies it for you, inshallah. Ameen. And hopefully yours too. Thank you. Um, so. so we're going to go into other questions. Okay. Um, where is your peace and clarity found? And how did you come how did you come to find it? And have you ever questioned your sanity? Hmm. Um, <laughs> I love you. Just get right in there. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, so the first part of where I get my peace and clarity, I think for me, it's been more a feeling and stillness when I have a moment to be still. And, and there's something about when you're still, everything around you slows down too. There's just practice, sort of funny practice for some people that I do that honestly is nothing. It's not based in Sunnah or the Quran in a specific way. The Prophet, peace be upon him, didn't tell us to do this. I just, after prayer, one day I was praying and I laid down on my back, like with my mm. everything flat. Mm. I felt gravity press my body against the earth. Mm. And I just let it do what Allah had commanded it to do. And as my legs and my arms and my shoulders hit the earth and just relax, I started to realize that I'm on an earth and that earth is spinning ever so well, quite fast actually, but in our perception, slowly mm. around its axis. So I sort of started to imagine the stars like moving, like I'm moving in a circle, you know, but I'm looking at the stars moving. And then I felt this earth move around the sun. Mm. And in a moment, I took a ride around the universe and I felt how beautiful these huge, huge planets and creations in space are moving without anyone telling it to move, without any human government, mm. the government of Allah. And I, and I took a ride on the earth around, around the sun, in a sense. Um, and I, I felt how small I was, but how great the experience was. And I thought to myself, this is what peace is, is when you acknowledge that you're surrendered. And I noticed that I return to this practice every once in a while and you try it out. It's actually quite fun. It's like, especially in COVID, we can't travel. Right? All the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Free, uh, travel. Cost-free, COVID-free travel. That's no passport epic. needed. <laughs> I love that. Um, and then the second question, I think as the second was, have I ever lost my sanity, right? Yeah, or, or do you question your sanity? Or does darkness overtake? And when it does, what do you do? Great question. Um, definitely have questioned my sanity. Uh, I think I often do. I, there's this uh, Jewish mystic that said, if you don't doubt the existence of God every once in a while, mm -hmm. you're not sane. And I always <laughs> thought that was so interesting because he means like, if you don't return to your mind and try to understand the un incomprehensible every once in a while, then the where are you? Yeah. yeah. So I, I think of that and I sort of laugh to myself like, oh, yes, that's right. Like I, I do. 
And then also just sometimes, sometimes in, you know, deep prayer or I'm sure you've experienced this where you kind of lose your spatial existence where you, you sort of like forget where you end and you're like, wow, like this is, and so in that sense, like if sanity is being aware of your existence or your mind and then that goes away, then in a way that's sort of like, and then the yeah. next thing, the next part of that, which you were saying with, uh, with the darkness, yeah, is that's the thing about darkness. You could try to. One of my teachers said this, and I'll never forget it. She was like, um, or this is the way I conceptualized what she said was, "Don't fight the darkness, however. Turn on the light. Don't get too involved in trying to solve the, the darkness. Darkness, you. yeah, yeah. Like, because we try to. Like, it's always funny because people say, okay, when you ask people, you know." sometimes people want to learn meditation or Islamic meditation, whatever. And so I have these sessions or whatever with them. And they're like, oh, I have these thoughts in my mind and I can't get rid of them. Mm. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, but I think if I sit and think it through, I'll be able to overcome it. And I'm uh, like, but isn't the problem to begin with? And they're like, yeah. So you're going to do the problem. <laughs> You're going to use the thing you have a problem with to overcome it. And we do that all the time. I mean, Einstein said that. He said, That's doing true. the same thing and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. Yeah. So it's like we, we do that all the time. So for me with the darkness is, that's a cool thing about light. You could be in the pit of darkness and all you need is a match, a candle, and boom. Mm -hmm. You don't need a lot. You can call it yeah. darkness. And so for us, I feel like as Muslims or, you know, people of different faiths too, it's like when you're calling on God, you're calling on light. And when light arrives, darkness shatters. There's not a lot of thought. There's not a lot of preparation, you know? Yeah. It just takes one word. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, to end it, okay. define love for us. Oof. Do you want one word or you want like five uh, hundred? I want pages? you to like maybe flow like a river and do your thing. I don't know. <laughs> okay. For me, love is and always will be death. Um, wow. So I always start with that one word. It always will be that. It will never be anything other than death for me because to be in love is to be with the one. And so that fana, that annihilation of the self, the removal of the veil, wow, the mind, the understanding, the intellectualism, the achievements, the successes, the books, the companies, the money, the houses, the cars, a removal of everything that defines you, every compilation of labels gets in the way of being with the one. And so love is the removal of that, is saying, I give it all up. I, You are giving up everything you are so you could be receptive to everything that God is. Mm. And that's what love does. Love says that I, the ego, has no place here. And um, I like to say that love is a, it's a terminal illness. <laughs> And the cure is only being with Allah. Yeah. And that's what it's calling you to. And I think that if you're talking about human love, 
Hmm. What real love is between two people is the love that, like you said, mirrors one another, veils the faces of God, and Hmm. walks you on the path of God. Hmm. So if you're in a relationship that doesn't walk you to the greatest human ideals of compassion, mercy, love, and and, um, generosity, then rethink that relationship. Yeah. If that relationship doesn't show you um, the best parts of you and highlight the parts of you you need to work on mm. to be able to let go and to dissolve mm. the love of God, then again, you need to rethink or reevaluate. And that's why the, the power of love is I could sit across the screen with you somewhere in the world and know that there's love between us because yes. I see in you. A longing that awakens in me to experience God in a new way. And that's what you gave me with your words and beneath your words. And only love can give that. Only love can be the vehicle for that. And so we yep. need to eliminate the notion that time dictates how much we love someone. Time or even physical. Family. Yeah, physical. Here you are, I don't see you. All I feel is your words, your voice, your book. And when I opened that book and started reading it, I fell in love with your words, with your peace, your clarity, with your message. Um, I can't stress enough on how much you've done a beautiful job, a beautiful, you, you genuinely played the role of being a human tool, a human soldier for God. Thank you so much for your, your kind words. And um, like I said, your spirit, I know that God has put you in this path and this place in your life to to bring something of his will into existence and, and he couldn't have picked a better person so and I'm grateful for that and I'm looking forward to see what you create and, and I, continue I, to pour into this world inshallah. inshallah and hopefully we can stay in touch and speak some more and do more sessions like this awesome count me in <laughs> only if uh, you, you share more reflections because I think I have a lot more to learn from you <laughs> I you know when you said something about your notes um, I journal since I was in fifth grade wow. and lately I've been looking at my notes and I'm like I need to do something with them so when you mentioned the story of your of how your book came along through your notes I'm like whoa that's insane. So maybe Uh-oh. make use of this these notes and just do something with them, whether it's putting them out there on Instagram or writing a book or article or something. Honestly, I was going to say this earlier and I should have said it, but mm-hmm. um, I was going to say when you're talking, I was like, I feel like there's a book in you. Um, <laughs> like, I wanna, people always get really stressed out. Like every once in a while, I feel like there's a book in them but then I know it's like a stressful process I'm like I, de- I generally 99% because it's not often that you see mm-hmm. someone like that so I just I guess I wanted to I wanted to take my chance and say I think there's a book in you and and to just like let God let let God uh, guide you and how that comes about and it and uh, to be honest <laughs> I always tell people too like I was writing, I was making a typography book, you know, of Quran right. verses. I wasn't, and then aside from just running Quran quotes and doing my own life stuff, mm. um, and then the calling sort of came in, and I was like, okay, I'm going to try to take baby steps, and then a couple years oh. later, it was like, 
So I will learn from your words. I will learn from your process and from your journey and from your words. And inshallah, inshallah one day. I'll keep you updated. Yes, please let me know. (laughs) (laughs) I will.